Welcome to Answer the Call with Kelsey Kemp. That's me. I am a career coach helping Christians discern their calling and boldly create a career that's aligned with it. So you could be as faithful and impactful as possible with the decades of work ahead. My mission is to help you find yours so you could run the good race. And when you finally meet your maker here, well done, good and faithful servant. On this podcast, you'll hear me interview guests from all walks of life who have boldly answered God's call throughout their career. And you'll also hear from me, providing in-depth strategies, trainings, and biblically-backed career advice from my perspective as a career coach and also just as someone who's passionate about striving to align my life with God's intended purpose for it, according to what He says in the Bible. I'm so grateful you're here to join me in answering the call, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. In today's episode, you have the ultimate treat of hearing my dear friend Claire Robbie come back for round two. If you don't remember, she was actually on episode four, in which I would highly recommend you go back and listen to if you haven't already, because she shared her powerful story of how she boldly went against the grain, (laughs) hard to do, turns out, after majoring in accounting uh, for her bachelor's degree. And then she ended up creating a career that now fits her like a glove, which is not at all related to accounting, as it turns out, because she now serves as an academic advisor for the Business Honors Program at Texas A&M University, where both of us went to school. And with that, I wanted her to come back for this round two to share specifically about the common misconceptions she sees every single day college students facing when they're forming their early career. So you'll hear Claire go deep around three main struggles and misconceptions she sees students grappling with, one being developing a capacity to truly know themselves, which fair enough, this is hard to do. So she shares a lot of really practical, impactful steps that you probably haven't thought of or heard of before to effectively learn about yourself. And We also share a warning about how to properly and in a healthy manner consult personality assessments with a a healthy perspective so you don't go overboard with oversimplifying or taking your sense of identity from a man-made tool. So we talk about how those are helpful, but how you could have a healthy perspective when consulting them. Um, in this whole piece of developing your capacity to truly know yourself. And the second point she talks about, and she'll go so much deeper on, is taking that knowledge of yourself and diligently pursuing a path that's aligned with what you want, not what others might influence you to want. And on this point, Claire talks about the fascinating and relatable concept of triangular desire. That's not something I had heard of before, but I'm so fascinated with this now. It just means wanting something because you see that other people want it and therefore assuming that it must be valuable. But this thinking is what I know I got caught up in and what it's just really easy to get caught up in whenever you're in college and it leads you down paths that somehow later you're like, wait, I don't like this at all. How is this? So heed her warning and her advice on that second point. And then she'll finish out by talking about this third misconception or 
just something that we need to be careful about. Uh, it's really being diligent to develop a capacity to do the difficult or character building things that will get you where you really want to go. Because she shares this quote uh, among many, many other quotes that just, oh, took my breath away. That is so, so good. You have to listen through to the end. But one of the quotes that she shared was, we all dream of fighting tigers in the jungle, but we can't handle the pebble in our own shoe. And so that really speaks to this last point of, uh, you know, we'll all have lofty dreams a lot of the time coming out of college, but are you taking the steps to really set yourself up and take the challenges, accept the challenges you need to accept? that would really get you there. So on those three general topics, Claire and I drilled way down to share the practical, impactful steps that you could take to avoid these common pitfalls uh, or heed these warnings. And by the way, these warnings or pitfalls, they're not just for college students. Yes, they're very prevalent and obvious in your life, I think, whenever you are a college student, but they can easily perpetuate throughout adulthood, if not nipped in the bud now. So the advice Claire shared had me re-listening to this episode, muttering, dang, that's good, so many times, and also taking a load of notes. And so share this with the college students in your life. Or if you are one, share it with your pals. Do you like this chainsaw voice right now? What is this? All right. I'm over it. I think I'm back. (laughs) And share it with the young professionals also that you know just starting out their careers. Or really anyone. Even my mom loved this episode. So that just goes to show it's a good one. And since we spoke a lot about the importance of making career decisions that are boldly aligned with what you truly want, and value. I have included a link to my free comprehensive guide in the show notes that goes into detail about how to exactly define your core values and how to use them in decision making. Go grab that in the show notes and enjoy the rest of this treasure chest of impactful advice advice that Claire is about to share in this episode. Enjoy. Here we are, Claire Robbie. Back for yes. round two. Okay. Here, wow. If you just heard me bang the table, my podcast mic is on, then, uh, you know, you might not have, but I just announced it. So we're moving on. Nobody cares as far as I know. Uh, so, um, Claire, I'm so excited because this is the first time that I'm going to be doing something I really want to get into, which is for guests that have already come on and shared their story. I would love to get into the specific wisdom that you have about that has just come about from experience in the career that you're in specifically. So with you, my friend, as, wait, I don't want to mess up your job title. Help. Help. Uh, Yes. What you do. Yes, I can pick up from here. And it's so funny, whenever we were talking and you said, I really want to get people who've been on the podcast to come back on. It was directly after I'd texted you saying, I love this on the podcast. I listened to it. So really to everybody out there, 
it turns out that if you want to be back on, all you have to do is text Kelsey and advocate for promote, do some self-promotion like I accidentally did. So uh, I encourage everyone to do that. But no, no Claire, so I've been wanting to have you on for months. Such a waiting guest you are. But you know, you might have done some uh, subconscious voodoo right there. That you might have a point. No, I'm so I'm so honored to get to talk again, and that you'd even want to listen to me for another whatever set of minutes this turns into. But so. What I actually do, I work at May's Business School at Texas A&M and College Station, and I work with our business honors program. So specifically, do academic advising, which is probably going to be the most relevant thing that I talk about. I do selections and recruiting for business honors, and then I also work with our business fellows program, which is a leadership development program for upperclassmen at May's, and really most relevant to what we're talking about today is the fact that I spend a lot of time sitting in a room with one other student across from me at my desk, asking them questions, helping them think about what it is that they want and where they want to go and how we are going to build a strategy, whether that is class scheduling or certain programs or summer experiences or full-time job offers, whatever it turns into. Um, after the end of their college career. So that's, that's the bulk of my time is those one-on-one conversations with students. And I love it. They're the best. And that is time impactfully spent. Goodness, to have such influence, I I have to say, I'm glad it's in the right hands, genuinely. (laughs) Because even just as my friend, we went to college, uh, through college together, and you always had uh, an understanding shoulder to lean on a wise word to give and um some wonderful applied knowledge to share so i was so excited to have you back on to share about your perspective of what college students might do to avoid or think differently about some common career myths traps mistakes uh that many of us face or um, are kind of intrigued by the idea of maybe some not so good things. So I am really excited for you to share your perspective. Being someone that spends so much time seeing students one-on-one talking about the deep stuff. So you have told me that you have some three grand ideas about (laughs) common conceptions or traps to be aware of. So can you just give us a little overview of what those are and we'll dig into them individually? Yes, for sure. So whenever we, you approached me with this idea, I thought, okay, what? these are big overarching themes and we can probably unpack them together because I don't know that they change from college to the next season of life. That'd be something I'd be curious your perspective on. But so the main kind of three buckets I see is overall developing your capacity to actually know yourself. Uh, the next is developing your what's the right word somewhat desire resilience but (laughs) meaning knowing taking that knowledge of self and looking at your options and saying am are the things I'm pursuing actually in alignment with what I know about myself and where I want to go what are the other factors influencing this desire And I think that there are some traps that are really easy to fall into. And then the last one is rooted in this quote that 
a mentor I was talking with a couple weeks ago shared with me, and I don't know who to attribute it to. She told me it was St. Francis de Sales, who's just like my favorite. He has so many good, great quotes, but whenever I Googled it, that didn't come up. So anyway, but the quote is... <laughs> it's like, um, wait, I'm sure that you saw Einstein or Marilyn Monroe come up. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm like, every time I know, I love all these quotes and I throw them in the universe. And I'm like, one of these days, someone is going to be just really upset with me for not attributing this to person. But um, the quote is that we all dream to fight tigers in the jungle, but we can't stand the pebble in our own shoe. Whoa. And, and I think that that is very, very real, that we have a hard time connecting these visions for what we could be doing and what we could be going after. But at the first sign of discomfort or danger, it is really easy to just bulk and walk away from it. So those are kind of like yeah. the, the three big buckets I see. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I could already tell that this whole episode is going to be me trying to fight off my daydreaming tendency because I think that this is going to just be, it could easily be me psychoanalyzing how I have fit into every single one of these traps <laughs> in college <laughs> oh, and how I have fought to overcome them. But let's get kicking with the first. First off, these are so solid. This is the first time I'm hearing all three of these ideas. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. So enough about that. No more banter. Go in, kick it off with your first grand idea about the myths and misconceptions. So speaking about attributing quotes, this one I am attributing to Bailey Urban, who was my roommate, and she teaches at Mays, and she probably would attribute this quote to someone else, but I hear her say it all the time to your students that there are three things that are hard in life, a rock, a diamond, and to know oneself. <laughs> and I think that that is simply put, yet very true. So that is one of the most common questions, most common wrestlings I see with my students, particularly when they first come to school, is the phrase, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know how to choose a specific option. I don't know what I want. And, and I think that that's good because I think there's a certain amount of, of awareness needed to recognize that you don't have an awareness. <laughs> so yeah. whenever we get to the full place where they're saying, I don't know, I don't know, that means that they're in a really good place to start exploring that question. And that's one of my favorite things about higher education it is this concept of self-authorship. And it's a time to go out and do authorship of yourself and who you are, but most profoundly and most importantly, self-authoring in light of who has God created me to be? How can I glorify him and how can I serve him effectively? And so working at a public institution, that's something that is really, really cool for me is that I see those things intertwined so closely that those conversations with students, um, you know, you really get to dive into what do you think that you were made for? And I think that something Texas A&M does really well. And something I encountered early on my freshman year was just this idea of reflection. How do I learn to be introspective and reflective about my life? And so very early on, 
started noticing things in my everyday life that mattered and paying attention to details. And I think that there's dangers to this too. I think you and I could both make jokes about how much the you the word intentional was thrown around in friend groups <laughs> yeah, and conversations and but I think that in many ways those four years of college were a playground of diving deep asking questions that for the group of people in the room maybe were uncomfortable and more uh, intimate to a person than you normally would in a friend group but we were all just trying to figure out and we we're genuinely curious and so I think that I learned a lot not only from professors who encouraged me to be introspective and reflect but from even fr conversations with friends that challenged me and I think I was just plugged into a group of people that really hungered for that and so I was pushed in it but um you know, there's all kinds of assessments you can take to help you learn about yourself and how you operate in the world. And I think that those are really useful, but so much of undergrad and so much of college, and I think so much of our lives is just a constant war between are keeping our identity rooted in Christ versus trying to put it in all these different buckets of this is my major, this is what I'm involved in, this is where I'm going after graduation, and just doing that tug of war back and forth. But it, it takes a lot of work to know yourself and can be kind of uncomfortable mm -hmm. to have to yeah think about that and and so I think for this the most critical thing is to have people who help you <laughs> know yourself yeah. who point out things in you that are different than other people and to be in an environment that promotes that self-awareness rather than just going through life an unexamined life isn't worth living I think that's another great quote but stopping do I think do I spend time to think every day about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and I think that's a little unconventional yeah I'd say so I, I mean I was even trying my darndest to get to know myself in college and I I mean honestly before I came into community and friendship with you and the friend group that we were a part of um which I mean for me came about just because of the business fellows professional development program uh that before that I was just kind of for the first two years of college having a hard time finding that community that level of community that you're speaking of um which is the kind of people that could hang with the hard questions that are willing to proactively say what I see in you, speaking what is true, speaking um, encouragement specifically, not just like, don't worry, girl, you got this, or, oh, yeah, you're so fun. Oh, you're funny. Like, those things, those like shallow comments, really shocking, didn't help me whenever I was like, wait, but really, who am I? And what would that have me do with my life? Yeah. And I think also, whenever we don't know ourselves, 
we, we have to have something to go off. We have to have some framework for decision-making. And so that's whenever we fall into the definitions that others have thrust upon us or that we see. So I think that's where a lot of these, well, my dad does this or my mom does this or sister, you know, plug in whoever you want. But that's where I think a lot of those patterns come is it is way easier for me to live into a definition that somebody else has thrust upon me than to go out and create my own based on the work that I've done to actually understand who I am. So that I think is maybe the root of this, what it really comes down to. Absolutely. And a theme that I'm picking up in all that you've said so far on this point is I would go so far to say to be very careful of the way that we consult personality assessments. Be very, very careful with that because I have personally seen specifically, I mean, people um, in, I don't know, people I knew from college, we all got kind of into the Myers-Briggs because that's kind of a typical academic assessment that allows you to see, uh, how would you describe it? Like how you make decisions, I think? Um, it, so it's funny, the two people that I work with love Myers-Briggs and find it really, really useful. And it's all about preferences. Mm, so preferences about how you take in um, information, how you interact with the world, how you make decisions. But a lot of times, I think where you're headed is we take what the assessment says is these are preferences. These are things that you know, are on a spectrum and some are more extreme. And we say, oh, you're in this bucket. And yeah, this is who you are. Right, right. And even like I teach, uh, I'm like a strengths, Gallup strengths certified person. And I was teaching oh, okay. our freshmen about strengths stuff this week. And they, you have to be so careful and hammer home this idea that strengths talk about how you do something, not whether or not you do it. So for Mm. example, if, if, um, you know, just a common talent theme, I'm trying to think of a good example is achiever or activator. Activator is this one where it says you're a person that goes out and gets stuff going and gets tasks. And so in a group project, you might be the person that says, okay, let's start moving. This is our vision. You do this, you take action quickly. Well, if you don't have activator in the top five, that doesn't mean that you don't ever start anything. You know, you have to do that to be a successful person, but you just might motivate yourself to do that task in a different way. And so I, yeah, anyway, that's a, that's a different thing, but oh, yeah, we were talking about assessments and you do have to be careful. Yeah, especially I would like to point out with the behavior I've had and what I see by and large people have around the Enneagram. It's not something that, like you're saying, preferences or tendencies or um, leanings or whatever, it or ways to um, think about who you are. I see people, and, and this was me, treating it as this is who I am. For and sure. There is no way in heck you can say that there are only nine types of people in the world. Um, and I think that that is a very unhealthy way to uh, tie up your identity in. And I got so swept up to, in that to the extent that um, whenever I was initially researching it, because people, uh, 
typed me, they were like, do you know what the Enneagram is? You are a four. And <laughs> I was like, excuse me, I have what Ennea, what? Um, I also a four? Shouldn't I be number one? Isn't that like the best <laughs> thing? Uh, <laughs> and so I got into it and it ended up being extremely discouraging to me because essentially the things that I read, um, I felt were phrased in such a way that it alluded to basically you're manic depressive and can't handle your life and are so melancholy like and dramatic that you isolate yourself from society but so many people around me were saying that this is who you are and I was very captivated by certain insights that I hadn't thought of before but I related to that I it sunk its teeth in me and I thought well this must be true because of certain very captivating points and it must be so insightful and everyone else is so into this that I it's funny kind of became obsessed with it too and uh adopted those kind of negative things uh negative thoughts about myself too um whenever in reality that is not who I am I don't even think it's productive to I think that consulting these um, personality tools to have food for thought, to have a healthy distance from them and look at them as this is something that could spur on greater insight, but have the healthy mindset that you're not going to let um, a nine type, 16 type, what is it, like 25 strength list or 40 strength <laughs> right, list right. type you, who you are, because there's no way that you as a complex created being could ever be summed up in that. And so, and those also aren't the things, sorry, I'm really getting on a soapbox here, good grief. Um, but I, I don't think that looking to those tools could also give you such a hope that you would have a definitive answer based based on those tools of what you're meant to do with your life. Um, so we have to think right. about it a little bit differently. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, that, so no, I no, I think that's such a trap so, in college years. Yes. And I, I, exactly what you said. Anytime you start hearing that I am a language plug in, whatever assessment, you know, that that can be really damaging. And, and two things that you said that really came to light for me is I think different assessments are more relevant for different people. So yeah. it can be, so it's kind of like test everything, retain what is good. And so whenever, let's talk about Myers-Briggs. So Myers-Briggs makes a lot of sense for who I am because I have really strong preferences. And so whenever I read a description of the personality type, it's helpful for me. And it's helpful for example, uh, my mom, I think has pretty strong preferences. And so it's helpful for me whenever we're disagreeing about something to recall those and think, okay, we're processing this information differently on something like someone closer to the middle. It's not going to be that helpful oh. with the Enneagram. I, I don't identify with any, like there's a couple numbers that rise up in me, but I'm like, well, maybe a seven, some six, some three, and none of them really resonate with me. And so it leads you to this place of what you said, am I broken? What, yep. why doesn't this work for me? I don't fit into this. But the reality is that one's just not that helpful for me. And that <sighs> is okay. And maybe none of the assessments are that helpful for you. But I think what it speaks to is really this first point of it's hard, how hard it is to know ourselves is we are all so desperate to be known and we know how important it is to know ourselves. Therefore, like anything in life, we are all about 
an easy, quick solution. So you're like, okay, I'm not going to do the hard work of reflecting on adversity and woundedness and victories in my life and paying attention to the daily details whenever there's a like 30 question quiz online, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a way better route for me. Um, And then I think also so often, you know, how many Instagram accounts are out there, you know, about the Enneagram, which I'm sure many of those people know a ton about it and are very, very knowledgeable in it. But I think we also have to be careful about who's teaching us about these tools and what is our sources of information. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we really beat, beat as General Van Alstine would say, there is no horse so dead, it's not worth beating again. So I think <laughs> that we have embodied that well in this conversation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even get on my um, other baby soapbox about how the Enneagram is actually, it was a channeled tool from someone who was demonically possessed. Um, So I don't believe that we should be using that to tell ourselves who we are in our core identities. But anyways, that's another show. You know, Kelsey, I I didn't expect to get to demonically possessed recently (laughs) in the podcast, but we did it. Well, um, if anyone is curious about like, wait, where the heck, you can't just say that and not give me more information, go just YouTube, Marsha Montenegro Enneagram. You could find out more of her research on the origins of it because it's often marketed as a very mysterious, uh, like ancient origins. Nobody really knows. It was adopted by Christianity and it's all kosher um, kind of thing. It actually has specific origins that you could learn about. So Marsha Montenegro on YouTube. Sorry, Claire Robbie, back to you. (laughs) That's great. So moral of the story, it can be hard to know ourselves and we try a lot of different things, but the reality is it's most important to understand ourselves through the lens of who does Jesus say that I am? How has he made me unique? And, and you've talked about this in past podcasts, not just who am I to God in regards to I'm a child of God, I'm beloved, I'm called, I'm a follower, all those things. Yes. But one of the hardest and most beautiful prayers I've ever prayed is to sit in silence, go to the chapel and ask the father to describe how he sees me and, and write down what comes to mind. And it is honest and raw and real. And just taking that kind of silence and and praying that vulnerable of prayer, I think exercises like that are probably most fruitful. And then when we know ourselves, we know that we who we are at our core doesn't change based on what we're doing. And therefore I think we feel more freedom to make decisions and pursue different callings and different routes. Oh my gosh. Word. Yes. Uh, Another practical step that I'd like to add, seeing that we kind of started the conversation on this point about how important community is in this piece of getting to know yourself. If that seems kind of ambiguous or don't know how to do that, I would recommend that you take the first step of just asking a few trusted close people in your life. It can be friends, it can be family, um, but you could ask them, what are the top qualities that you see in me? And I would recommend that you say the word qualities because it's open enough Um, that it encourages them to not just think of it in terms of strength or personality, but ask them, what are the top qualities or most prominent qualities that you see in me? And if you find it weird to text, I would recommend 
at least three friends. Go crazy, three to 10. Um, if you find it weird to just text a friend that, you could say, I'm doing this personal development exercise by Kelsey Kemp at Kelsey <laughs> underscore that called career on Instagram. <laughs> oh, gosh, sorry. Sometimes I love myself, but I hate myself, but it's fine. Um, yeah, you could, um, I, I've done that exercise and it has brought up some of the most fruitful thoughts on seeing myself outside of just boxes and seeing how the people who know me best would genuinely describe me and what they appreciate and what they go to me for. So that's another thing I would add for practical steps of getting to know one's self because <laughs> it is very, very important. Um, there's this great scene in the King and I a musical where in the songs like getting to know you and she dances around so I feel like that should be playing in the background of what we're talking about right now <laughs> oh yes maybe the podcast editor could right 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 I don't know copyright a girl can dream <laughs> um what is this second point Okay, second point, triangular desire. So this, I do, I do know who to quote for this. It is a book that I love. I mentioned it in the first podcast we did called Excellent Sheep, The Miseducation of the American Elite and the Way to a Meaningful Life. It's written by William Duresowicz and who actually goes by Bill. I, this what? is such, this is such a like side anecdote, but my roommate and I, so she's about to get, she's about to get married next weekend. And we, so I moved out of her house. And whenever I moved out, we had this party, we called it a breakup party because I was, oh. <laughs> I was sleeping. Um, but we got each other gifts kind of as a joke. She got me socks with her face on it. And I um, got her pajamas that match mine. But what I emailed this author because he's a favorite author of both of us. We both work in higher education. I wrote this long email and basically asked him to say what he would share with a, you know, 20 something working with college students. And he emailed me back. <gasps> I was so excited. What? That's amazing. So yes, big fan of Bill. Um, he signed his email, Bill. That's why. <laughs> oh, that's how you know you're on the end. Right, right. But uh, it's a really good book. And particularly somebody who works in higher education, I find it fascinating. But he talks about this concept of triangular desire and how he describes it is that it's wanting something because you see that other people want it and assume that it must be valuable. Mm. And he, he closes the chapter saying that we have constructed an educational system that produces highly intelligent, accomplished 22-year-olds who have no idea what they want to do with their lives, no sense of purpose, and what is worse, no understanding of how to go about finding one, who can follow an existing path, but don't have the imagination or the courage or the inner freedom to invent their own. Oh my and gosh, that just ripped my heart out. <laughs> that this, was so good. <laughs> this book is just filled with quotes like that, but this idea of triangular desire, when I read it, resonated with me so strongly and I see it constantly I saw it in myself I mentioned this again in the first podcast I showed up and I always thought I would be a marketing major minor in communications go work in public relations but then I took the introductory accounting class and was really good at it and knew that other people wanted to be good at this so therefore because other people consider this as valuable and I can do it I should pursue this and that just adopted it's a mental model it's a model for decision making that in some 
cases is useful. So for example, Kelsey, if you and I go out to eat and you say, oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the whole world. And I know that we have similar tastes. Well, then that's actually a pretty good mental model to assume that I can order the same thing as you and be really content with my choice. But unfortunately, when it comes to our career, it is not like ordering dinner. And, but we just trust these well-worn paths and we just see other things that other people place value on and pursue those things because they're familiar. And I think that we start this practice in regards to organizations that an involvement, you know, college students apply for the stuff that mm-hmm. you hear is prestigious or that you hear, you know, open stores in the long run. Um, and then like you can have one or two things that are actually aligned with what you want to do. Yeah. But um, you have a small budget for what you actually want to do. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and so I saw this in myself and see it a lot in my students where um especially it's it's been really interesting because and I had this misconception too when I went into school that well I'm gonna be more marketable if I study like a technical degree like accounting or finance Uh and the problem was I didn't naturally love that material. I loved my accounting faculty. And I tell my students that all the time where, you know, it ended up being great because I had incredible teachers and really good relationships with them. But we so often think, okay, what is the thing that's going to be the most marketable? But we don't think, is this something that I actually want to be credentialed in? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Because then, okay, let's say really, for example, consulting, because it's just an easy one to use as an example, Mm -hmm. you can be, you can have any major in the business school and go into consulting. I have data on it from graduation surveys. I have students in all six of the majors at Mays Business School, and every single one of them has consulting firm of some kind that a major, um, that a student from that major has gone and worked in. And The thing is, is students, you know, for me, I was an accounting major, but really wanted to do consulting, management consulting and thinking about people and change organizations. And for some reason, I was surprised when I was in interviews pegged for more technical consulting roles because I'd gone and credentialed myself for something that I didn't actually have an interest in pursuing. And so that's the kind of tricky spots I think that we can find ourselves in where we just think very uncritically, what's the highest and best chase after it and then find ourselves like standing on the wrong mountain, you know? (laughs) Oh gosh. Yes. That is so applicable for all life stages. But I saw that especially obviously painfully at uh, college since the, the group think can be so strong. You're in this container of, people like you and I don't even need to explain that you understand but um oh, gosh I fell into it so hard I just can't oh I want to do like clapping hands emoji between each and every one of your words that you just said because I I just don't feel like it could be over overemphasized how it's I do want to appreciate that it, it can feel difficult I know it did for me 
So I fell in the ranks of just going along with this. What did you call it? Triangular? Triangular desire. Triangular desire. Of Well, everyone else is doing it and this is the prized role. So why don't I go out and get it? But do you want what that leads to? And why are we surprised whenever it leads to what it was pointed to all along? Like you're saying, why was I surprised whenever I was being te- pegged for more technical um, expertise or like uh, technical consulting? Um, so what, what words of encouragement would you have for students to have a better mindset around this and help them to be willing not to follow, fall into ranks that they're not meant to be in? Yeah, um, I think that the the first thing is that you can't ever just one thing i found with this you can't ever just tell them this stuff <laughs> you know yeah. like you have to you have to kind of logic through it a little bit and admit in everything that there is a certain amount of truth but also a certain amount that we have to be skeptical of so for example again, because it's our shared experience, let's talk about fellows. Well, that's something that I applied for largely because other people attributed value to it, oh, right? Same. But but I was, and it was, it was immensely valuable and hugely impactful, but I was talking with people who had firsthand experience in the class. You know, I was talking to a, a primary source, not a secondary source, but a primary source. And so often we create these narratives in our minds of, oh, well, a technical degree is most valuable, but to go into X career, but have you ever, like, have you heard that from a recruiter? You know, have you looked on the job description and seen what majors they actually hire for this? How do you know the real criteria? Isn't that they want everybody to have a three nine or above, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, we, I don't think that, uh, we fact check a lot on those kinds of things. And so there, there are some very real credentials that matter. If you want to be an accountant, if you want to go to work in public accounting, then you should do what you need to, to be eligible to sit for the CPA, take your accounting coursework. Yes. If you want to work in investment banking, especially coming from a school like Texas A&M, you need to study finance. You need to get the technical skills, but I mean, even investment banking, the banks, I've read books and articles where even these really technical degrees, they're hiring students from liberal arts colleges yeah. and just putting them through a rigorous four-week training program <laughs> to get them up to speed. And, you know, so then what you're talking about is, you know, did I go to a private institution in some part of the country that is a target school. So there's just so many factors that we don't understand how faulty our logic is. And so we should always be skeptical of our own logic. Mm. And I think that that is, you know, the baseline. And so you have to kind of provide examples to students to get them there. And so one thing that's really helpful for me is pulling up data of our business honor students and saying, look, I have a student who graduated two years ago whose major was marketing and she is an auditor for a company, an accounting auditor in San Antonio. And I have a student who, um, you know, was an accounting major who is now working at NASA. You know, (laughs) you don't, you don't, you, you can start pointing out that 
it's not as formulaic as they think. And then the other thing that our program, a new idea that we're trying right now is um, what we're calling it signature work, but it's basically for our honor students, they are going to explore some idea. It can literally be anything. It does not need to be business related in the slightest, but just like, what is one thing that you are curious about or that you've always wanted to do? Go make it happen. So, you know, for some kids, maybe it's a, you know, business that they have started or run on their own. For another kid, maybe it's a leadership position they have. Maybe it's that they're fascinated in about travel or literature or, you know, fantasy football, whatever it is, what is your thing? Now go create something and you are going to have an advisor that you meet with and you're going to work on this project for two years and your senior year, you're going to create some kind of capstone and it's about to be a part of our requirements for business honors. And so we're just now rolling this out to our sophomores. It's going to be a big initiative. And so as part of our preparation process, I, I did my own signature work. So I was like, okay, if we're going to make our students do this, you know, like I need to do it, make sure it works. Yeah. And something that I always loved, but didn't put any resources towards was I, I love to write. I think writing is really fun. I think it's really hard. I think writing and speaking are really fun. And so for my signature work, I went through and basically looked up like what are writing conferences I could have gone to who are authors that I could email and and just did this whole outline of what if I'd spent the last two and a half years of college exploring writing and storytelling and maybe you know by the time I graduated college I would have a memoir of my time in college or I would have gotten an English minor or you know just like been awakened to the things that I loved to learn for no reason other than I love to learn them. And so I think one way that we can bust up triangular desire is to assist students to become awakened to their own desires. Because then you're able to say just more honestly why I'm pursuing these things. Because you know what? Just because writing and English and speaking would have been the centerpiece of my signature work. That doesn't mean that I would have changed my major to that. Um, It doesn't even mean that I would base my career on it, but I would have developed a skill set for it and realized this is something that brings me a lot of life that challenges me creatively in a way that, you know, I don't paint. So (laughs) this is a way for me to be creative and we all have a creative capacity. So, um, you know, that's, that's one example, but I think, I think that, the question, the very simple question is, what do you think about? What do you do with your time when you're not doing the things you have to do? And, you know, excluding social media <laughs> or you know, Netflix. But I mean, you know what? If somebody like created a compelling argument to me as to why they wanted to like explore video games for their signature work, I would pay attention to that, you know? Yeah, um, and, and so I think that by becoming educated, about our own desires and, and what we love. We learn about ourselves and we also develop a capacity to, to pursue options that at least give us an outlet for that or acknowledge, okay, I'm pursuing something right now that maybe doesn't perfectly line up with that desire, but is the next step 
towards integrating it in my long-term vision. You know, like I don't think anybody goes into investment banking because they're just so excited about the work in those two years, but they do it because they see some kind of long-term outcome. Um, I, I never want my students to think that I am against certain career trajectories or certain career choices. Um, Miss Morley, my supervisor who is the director of the business program, she always says, it's not that we don't want hard chargers. It's that we want reflective hard chargers. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And of course, like we shouldn't be against taking these paths. I think that it just goes back to earlier points in the conversation that, and even what you shared in the first episode that we did together is that if I'm not going to make thoughtful changes now, why would I in the future? And so it's okay if with your most thoughtful reflection and long-term vision, you say, it is best for me to go into investment banking after two years. I just want you to realize that after two years, what are you going to do? Imagine that. Are you going to fall into the easy temptation to just say, I'm here now. How can I give up these benefits? Well, I don't know how you feel after two years of investment banking. I'm <laughs> that tired. Um, but um, like, are you going to be willing to make a career, any necessary career pivots later? Or are you going to just become your boss? Uh, that's another exercise or just check in I would recommend is in any of these things, look at someone three years ahead. Uh, and even if you're in college, you could look at someone who's an associate at that firm you're considering. You could look at someone who's a manager and you could look at someone who's a partner. How envious of you are those people's lives at any of those steps? Do you want mm-hmm. to become those people? Look, mm-hmm. especially like to the manager, like, are you, do you want to get stuck there? <laughs> if right. not, just at least prepare yourself that you're going to have to make a career pivot. So anyways. Yeah. And this is, and this is kind of maybe a Pollyanna perspective, but something I tell my students all the time is as a general rule, people love to help people. And more specifically, I tell them that Aggies love to help Aggies. And so I'm always telling them I have, you know, five different seniors who were making this decision that I can put you in touch with or to my seniors I have five different friends I graduated with who are making the same decision that I can put you in touch with and you know there's just always everybody loves to give their opinion for the most part and so if you have questions there are most of the time people are willing to help you think about it and so you can go get data get information to help you think about the things that you're considering and the decisions you're trying to make. Um, I have one student who I've just seen him grow and develop so, so much over the past three years. And he is going into investment banking after he graduates. But I was just talking to him the other day and, and that's all I've ever known really is him talking about investment banking. He did that program in the college. And whenever I was talking to him the other day, he started talking to me about how long-term he wants to be like a CFO of a major retailer. He loves retail and clothing. And and so now all of a sudden, okay, that makes a lot of sense to go and take this next step and get this experience so that then you can take step B. But um, it's just like the classic begin with the end in mind Mm -hmm. and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Man, now I feel like I could just drag this out forever, bringing up a devil's advocate point that, like, there is an extent to which you could know yourself, I think, in college, just because it, you're largely in the theoretical realm without much um, application, which is where in action you actually learn about yourself. It's action paired with uh, reflection afterwards, not just reflection for reflection's sake. I don't think that you learn very much just by sitting in a dark room and thinking, I don't know, who am I? I think that you have to go out and make it happen uh, and see how, I don't know, your thoughts compare with real life. But 100%. Um, no, I think that's true. And we can't, but we're also so much of the time, we're just guessing, you know? Yeah. And so and I it's think that's my point. It's not, uh, is that, there's an extent to which you can know what end you're trying to aim at <laughs> in right. college. And so even right. I, I like chose consulting because I thought, well, it, it, at least it'll hopefully keep career options open after right. two years, whenever hopefully I figure out what I want to do. And you know what? I, I guess it served that end and reflecting on all of this, I, I don't think that I would go back and make a different decision. So I don't want to, give off the impression for how much I guess the grief I give like this whole consulting phase of my life for two years um I don't I, I would like to say for all of you guys asking on this podcast right now <laughs> that I I don't regret making that decision but I because I think that it led to the self-realization like all those through fire is whenever I actually learned uh, the necessary lessons about myself to say, now I think I understand what I'm called to do more fully. And it's actually completely different than anything I've ever done. But I have to embrace the attitude that if not now, when? <laughs> right. And so anyways, if you're like me uh, or many other people, at least in the business school that Claire and I went to, and you're considering um, a, a quote, traditional career, maybe two years or a couple years trying out public accounting, investment banking, consulting, other things in the corporate realm. We're not saying don't do those things. It's just, let's think about what you might want to consider to make more informed decisions. Um, and if you're going to make the same decision anyways, just realize that things might change and you'll have to keep in mind that you, I guess, should be flexible. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Or I don't know if I'm just working off. Yeah, no, I, I do. 100%. We, we, our students, myself, even today in my job, you know, we're just guessing at what the next thing, but we can make, we can make really informed guesses. <laughs> and, um, and do you know what, two years down the road, we have to exhibit flexibility. And that's, again, where that self-knowledge piece comes in and the capacity to recognize I am not a, you know, if we're, if we're, we're supposed to be, we're going to be glorifying God. And um, ultimately, ultimately we're called into relationship with him. And so we have to be really honest with ourselves um, about where am I at in regards to knowing the Lord, making him known, how's that intersect with my career and be willing to ask ourselves questions constantly knowing that maybe we'll get an answer we don't like. And are we going to have the courage at that time to pivot? And so I think college is so much 
not about finding the right answer, but developing habits of self-examination, questioning, and making informed guesses about what our next step should be so that we can apply it and continue to apply it the rest of our lives. Well said, my friend, <laughs> uh, as I knew it would be, but uh, it's your MO. Uh, what is this third point? I, yes, the third point, this great quote that I don't know who said it. Hopefully some like <laughs> a- angry listener will tweet at me, except I don't have Twitter. So don't um, worry. It's Marilyn Monroe. She's no longer with us. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. We all dream to fight tigers in the jungle, but we can't stand the pebble in our own shoe. And this really comes down to just a need to be uncomfortable, to mm-hmm. have a lot of the cool perspective widening experiences that are really helpful in allowing us to live into our calling. I mean, just the perfect tension is you quitting your job and starting this new endeavor, mm-hmm. you know, that everything from I have a student who I just think the world would be so fun. And he was trying to figure out what to do. This is summer after a sophomore year. And he was really wrestling with whether or not to go study abroad with a bunch of his friends or apply for this internship in London. And, um, and I, I, I never tell them what to do because <laughs> partly because it's like liability insurance, you know, cause I can be wrong. 100% I can be wrong. Um, but in my heart of hearts, I just really thought that, he he didn't really know what he wanted to do long term. He was having a lot of questions. He like knew what his values were and wanted to live into that, but had this really attractive option to go with people that he knew to France and spend the summer with his buddies studying or go to this place where he wouldn't know anybody. He'd be living with the host family, doing work that was a question mark at the time. He didn't even know what firm he'd be placed with or what kind of job. And I really, really wanted him to go to London, mainly to develop a capacity for doing uncomfortable things. (laughs) And when I thought about, you know, what what experience is going to give you a story to tell, to talk about in an interview, or what experience is going to really help you figure out your next step, a lot of times it's those experiences that are either going to be really hard or really fun or some combination of both. And anyway, I was really proud because he ended up going to London and he, he sent me an email about halfway through the summer. And these are, I have a, in my office, I have an email wall of fame where I print out just the best emails that I get from students. And he sent me this great email that was basically something along the lines of at the start of this summer, I did not want to get on that plane to London. I can't tell you how much I did not want to get on that plane to London, but now I'm four weeks in and I'm so happy that I did. And these are the things that I'm learning and this is what I've experienced and how I'm being challenged and all this stuff. And it was really, really gratifying. And And it was the same thing with whenever I ended up going to the Tim Tebow Foundation, just because of how refining that season had been of rejection and not seeing how it could possibly work out and then seeing how beautifully it worked out. I think that that developed a capacity for me to 
be more patient when it came to discerning my full-time career where I decided to opt for grad school and asking for extensions. And it wasn't comfortable to call the recruiter four different times and tell them, can I have more time? And it wasn't comfortable to walk away from these options that seemed a lot more logical. But because I'd had a smaller experience taking a risk and seeing the Lord bless that and seeing his faithfulness in stepping out in faith, it, you know, gave me more courage to practice that again later on. And, you know, to the very opposite end of the spectrum, I've seen a lot of students get themselves into trouble where they come off of an internship or a job and they have this full-time offer that, has is like a ticking time bomb for them and I I really I have I blame employers for this as much as anything but they are really not flexible with students and I get it they have headcount and they need to make decisions about hiring but I see so many students backed into a corner where they're making this really important decision and they either just take an offer that they feel you know, like 35% okay about because they're terrified they're not going to have any other options or they get really, really in a messy spot and accept an offer, but then get a different one because they don't stop looking for jobs. And then it's a whole like ethical integrity question, you know, people, role models, you know, you just like have to go through the gauntlet of dealing with that. And so it's just, it's really messy if a person has not developed a capacity for ambiguity, a capacity for risk. And yeah, like I said, we, we kind of want it all. We want to, we dream of fighting tigers in the jungle, but we like want to be in a cage with tiger proof suit on and like oh um, my gosh you know and and we can't have both yeah and and so I think that is probably the biggest challenge and um I'm even trying to think of anecdotes because it's for sure true my life is an anecdote oh my gosh I'm thinking of uh, I don't know but I just my stomach is almost doing a flip thinking of wow, I've just did like this mental check note of, I don't know, not to be like self-indulgent, just genuinely, I was just thinking of all of the things that I have given up, like every single measure of financial security that was once my little G God in consulting um, and, um, and even social status, giving all of that up, people having no idea even what to say to me and what to ask as I was like totally unsure of what I was even doing. Um, And just like everything that was once secure became completely insecure. But I genuinely, like with all sincerity, don't regret any of that in the lesson, uh, giving up all of that security for what I have now, which is the knowledge that I will continue to figure things out. I, I really am just in my twenties and I have time. And even if you're in your thirties or forties, like 
we have more time and it doesn't always have to be perfectly secure and perfectly okay. You could throw yourself in the jungle with the tiger for a while and it's okay. And all of the things that I once held as my most precious valued things like security and all those areas I mentioned, I realized pale in comparison to what is actually important to me now. And it's the thing that gives me fulfillment and purpose like was totally um, absent in my life before. And so anyways, if you actually <laughs> want to talk to someone who has given all of that up, I am happy to talk to anyone because I just realized how I went through college talking to, I, I was diligent to do all of the informational interviews. I was diligent to call like five different people who had different positions within the consulting firm that I ended up accepting an offer with. I did all my research, okay? And I still made the decision just because I now realize that all the people I talked to had the same perspective. And ultimately, I just didn't realize that they don't value the same things that I valued. I never talked to someone who quit a corporate job. I never mm -hmm. talked to anyone who had an outlier point in their career. And so anyways, I'm sorry to interrupt. I feel passionate about hopefully being that person that can say, hey, there is a different path because I find that we constantly um, are attracted, by um, attracted to following it into the trap that we can only do what we see modeled. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. So anyways. Yeah. Sorry. No, no and I think... I think that those experiences and I think what was revealed to me the most in seasons where I took a risk and, you know, the student with going to London or, you know, whatever it is, what I, what comes to light in those moments for me is just, I never realized how much I didn't trust the Lord until I'm in yeah. those moments that is never revealed to me the proportion by which I rely on my own strength and my own logic and my own capacity until those moments. And I think that regardless of outcome, those moments where I had to come to terms with that were so valuable in forcing me to come to the father and say, please help me to trust you. Please help me to trust you. Please teach me to trust you. And how else can we learn to trust other than putting ourselves in circumstances that demand radical trust? And it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable. It's so hard. But I think that that was one of the most helpful things is whenever I continue to strategize and like you said, gather information and rationalize my decisions in my mind, it's easy for me to be like driving my little motorcycle down the interstate of my life and be like, Jesus, <laughs> there's space in the sidecar. Let's do it. <laughs> um, here's some goggles and we'll have a great time. It'll be a cute little postcard. But, um, but that's not that's not what it means to follow the rabbi to be imitators of Christ. And, and I, I wrestle with this a lot where even in my current job where sure, I feel like I'm living my calling this moment in the work that I'm doing, but does my life really have the marks of Christ? Does it have the wounds of Christ? Does it have, you know, those 
indicators that I'm being an imitator of him. And I live in a lot of comfort, you know, and, and don't do a good enough job of questioning that and reflecting on that. But all that aside, I, I think that step one is saying, you know, can I get comfortable with the pebble in my shoe <laughs> whenever yeah. I'm living life? If I think that one day I want to be fighting tigers in the jungle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's. I loved every ounce of that. that oh, wow. <laughs> I feel so amped up and inspired right now. This was the best TED talk I've ever heard delivered. Thank you, <laughs> there, Robbie. Oh wow, really? I I want to listen to the recording of this and like write out those three kind of header points that we went through because I think that they're so insightful. I uh, I hope that. Well, I have a lot of hopes for hopefully the I mean the college students listening to this conversation. But I'm more curious to hear what your hopes for the college students are. Um, hmm. Being someone that is with them every day, just kind of in your strong closing statement as a mentor of ours would say. Yes, yes. Um, I think that, oh gosh, I'm torn between two. You should just say them both. Sam both well one of them is taken from General Van Alstine but he always asks the question will what got you here get you where you want to go and that question I think is really good for students to consider will what got you here get you where you want to go because I think if we're really honest a lot of times the answer of that is no because what's got us to you know say freshman year of college is this formulaic SAT score, class rank, very measurable, quantifiable pictures of success. And that, you know, the classic, there's no report card in the real world. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that question of will, what got you here, get you where you want to go? If not, what's the gap? And how can you develop your capacity for it? And then the other is a quote from this book that I love called I Believe in Love. And it just poses the question, or not the question, the statement, nothing great ever comes about without great desires. Yeah. And like I said, not that all of this is about living some great fairy tale um, fireworks in the background kind yeah. of life. But whenever we think about greatness in regards to the people that we read about in scripture, you know, Paul's and Peter, and I'm in Acts right now, so I'm like very yeah. <laughs> on all the disciples, but like, um, you know, whenever we think about all thousands of people who were added to the followers of Jesus at the day of Pentecost, um, you know, we have to start by having great desires and awakening ourselves to those things. And I think that all three of these steps, ideas bring us closer to that, especially if all of them are considered in light of Christ. Oh, well said, man. I need to get out. Why is it a new hat? I'm like totally breaking the magic of this conversation by having 
a self-editing remark about my habit of saying man, which I, my <laughs> habit before was calling everyone dude, and somehow it just got worse. Anyways, I'll just say Claire. Thank you. That was so <laughs> insightful. Wow. Okay. Brilliant, Kelsey. Brilliant. Um, thank you so much for fulfilling my dreams of coming on for a round two so we could get more into the insights that you have based on what you do every day. And I am excited for the encouragement and hopefully fruits that I that people experience in their life as a result of hearing what you have to say. Well, all right. If you were enriched or encouraged by the work I put into today's episode, I would be so grateful if you left a review. All it takes is one minute or less to click on a few stars and write a few words about how this podcast has impacted you. And voila, you just made an instant impact on getting the word out about this show to those who would benefit from knowing it exists. As always, you can catch me on Instagram for daily insights, mini trainings, laughs, and sneak peeks into my life, all at Kelsey underscore the called career on Instagram. You could also get one of my best free resources, an in-depth guidebook on how to discern your core values and how to use them to make career decisions that will satisfy in the long run. You can get that guide for free right on the homepage of my website, kelseykemp.com. And that's it. Until next time, stay purposeful and tuned in to your calling. Bye for now.